All right, Alexander, let's talk about Tobias Elwood. And I have to be honest with you and our viewers. I really didn't know who Tobias Elwood was, to be quite honest, until he started saying some incredibly crazy stuff about uh, Ukraine and the UK's role in Ukraine, which is just pretty much the UK has to get physically involved in the conflict in Ukraine, like they have to get boots on the ground. And that's when Tobias Elwood uh, entered my, my radar. Uh, who is this guy? Why is he saying such crazy stuff? And should we take him seriously, or is he just... Just uh, someone that we should ignore, and he's just another lunatic that we should ignore. <laughs> we, can't, we can't unfortunately ignore him. He is a Conservative MP, quite a well-regarded Conservative MP, at least within the Conservative Party. He's ex-military, and I understand that he's the chair of the British Parliament's Foreign Relations Committee. So he is an influential man, and there was even a point when uh, Boris Johnson was on the skids, when there were some people who were actually speaking about him as being a potential successor to Johnson, in which case he would have become Prime Minister, which is a rather alarming thought. But anyway, it never materialised. He doesn't have that level of political support in Britain. But he is not someone one can, be, one can particularly ignore. And I'm afraid, like a lot of pol political figures in Britain, he has bought into the Ukraine conflict in the most extreme and, in my opinion, unbalanced way. And he's been making some very, very weird statements. I mean, he, he's given interviews. I mean, you could find one um, that's, you know, that's there. I think it was on Sky News, which he gets very excited and overwrought. And he says that, you know, we're involved in a war in Europe. There's a war in Europe. We're involved in it. Britain is part of it. You, we can't leave Ukraine to continue fighting this war all by itself. The implication being that Britain should be involved too. We've got to prepare, build up our armed forces, uh, um, mobilise, introduce martial law, all that sort of thing. And I, I think this has been circulated around the world. But it's important to say that within Britain itself, there's now been a significant pushback to this kind of, to this kind of talk, which it's important to say is not coming just from Tobias Elwood. It's coming from all sorts of other people as well. I mean, I've often spoken about Simon Tisdall, for example, in The Guardian, who constantly harps on the need for NATO and Britain and the United States to impose a no-fly zone, in other words, to take on the Russian Air Force in Ukraine. Anyway, there's been a pushback, and importantly, it's come from the military. And the military is saying, how can we get directly involved in a conflict with the Russians? We only have 40, 40 tanks that are battle-ready, that can actually operate and can be used on the battlefields. We have a small number of frigates and destroyers. The Royal Navy is now massively shrunk in force. We are, militarily speaking, in no condition 
to engage the Russians in any sort of war. Now, I, I think we shouldn't completely overrate this. I mean, Britain has nuclear weapons. It's a nuclear power. We do have an air force. I think it's about 100 typhoon fighters. So, you know, we're not completely without military means. But when you look at what the Russians are um, capable of putting together, the, the size of the Russian military, which is growing all the time, the size of the Russian military industrial complex, and we don't have anything like that in Britain today. I mean, I, I, I saw a report, for example, that one of the reasons we're down to just 40 tanks is because the guns that these tanks have, uh, there's no means any longer. We, we lack the, the industrial resources to either make more of them or to refurbish them properly. So when they wear out, they have to be taken from other tanks that are in store. So we don't have a military industrial complex, certainly not one that compares with the one that Russia has. We don't have military industries. We have a very small army. It's been suggested that we have no more than a couple of thousand men we could scratch together for an infantry fighting force. I saw somewhere, somewhere people say that it would take us about five years to put together a force of around 25,000 men. That's a two-division force. The Russian military has, well, I've lost count of the number of divisions it has. We are in no position to go on talking in this way, to, to, to put all of this language into actual reality. And the military finally in Britain are basically telling people like Tobias Elwood to shut up. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> yeah, well, it's about time, but uh, what do you make of, of uh, the, the various uh, EU member states, NATO member states actually, which are uh, continuing to push this narrative that Russia is actually much weaker than, uh, than it appears. Um, I believe uh, President Pavel of uh, the Czech Republic, he's meeting with uh, Zelensky, and uh, he actually came out with a statement. And he said that uh, Ukraine is not going to get into NATO, or at least they're going to get into NATO when the conflict is over, when it concludes. But he also did say that uh, Russia is, the Russian military is really not that strong. I mean, it, it, doesn't this play into like Elwood's narrative? Yes. Yes. I mean, it does. I mean, this has become uh, uh, an article of faith for some people, and there doesn't seem to be anything that can make them to change their minds. Now, Pavel is an interesting figure because I don't think he really believes that. He is a former, mili he is a former military officer. He served, by the way, in the Czechoslovak military during the Cold War for a brief time, but he was there, and he would have had contacts with the Russians then. And he said other things since he became Czech president, which suggests to me that actually he understands a lot better than he's saying the realities. I think he went to Kiev and he said all that to Zelensky, basically to try to, you know, soothe Zelensky and the Ukrainians, given the bad news that he was conveying, which is that Ukraine isn't going to be joining NATO in Vilnius. So I think that was really what that was all about. But when Pavel says that, 
he is simply repeating the mantra that an awful lot of other people are following, that Russia is weak, that the military is almost out of equipment, that it's suffering from ammunition shortages. The British Ministry of Defence recently published another bulletin in which they talked about these enormous Russian fortifications and the way in which the Russians had developed new and successful tactics to counter the Ukrainian offensive. But never, don't worry, because the Russians are ultimately weak. They're running out of ammunition. <laughs> They're going to collapse at some point in the near future. So all we need to do is to keep on bashing. And despite all appearances, things will turn out and they will turn out well. And that remains the mantra. And as I say, it's an article of faith for some people. It's an article of faith for the Habeck-Baerbock axis in Germany. It's something that even Macron says from time to time, and I suspect sometimes when he says it, he even believes it. And, of course, there's plenty of people in Britain who believe it, Tobias Elwood undoubtedly being one of them. But, ultimately, the militaries in Europe know the truth. They know that their uh, stocks of weapons have been catastrophically depleted. They've seen that right across the European uh, Union, or rather not just the European Union, but also Britain, uh, the military-industrial systems, are no longer in a position to replace the weapons that have been sent to Ukraine in any kind of acceptable timescales, that Western militaries are in a weaker position now, much weaker position now, than they were in February 2022, when the conflict began, even as the Russians are getting stronger all the time. And if there is a real push to try to get to try to do what Elwood is talking about and get directly involved in the conflict in Ukraine, I think an awful lot of military officers across uh, the European part of NATO will come back and will say this is absolutely crazy and we don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm going to add, by the way, that in Elwood's case, I think some of his more recent comments, he is, as I say, somebody who is very heavily invested emotionally in the conflict in Ukraine. I think the reason he's talking about the need for Britain to become directly involved, that the fact that Ukraine can't be left to carry the burden all by itself, is because actually, even with him, even with people like him, and even with him specifically, the penny is starting to drop. He now realises that the offensive that Ukraine has launched is failing and that Ukraine is losing the war. And this is something which he can't emotionally accept, and that's why he's talking about this kind of escalation. But as I said, the reality is the military means to do it simply isn't there. Yeah, I, I think it's it's called like the five stages of grief or something. Or, I, I forgot what it's called, but I th but I think we're at the stage of of of, of acceptance. Or, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are just now starting to accept the fact that Russia has won and that uh, that Ukraine has lost with the failure of this uh, big counteroffensive, and they and they had all their hopes. Uh, tied into this this counteroffensive, it was all invested in this counteroffensive in the belief that in five days, 
and they were talking about five days. They were. In five days, they were going to reach the Sea of Azov, split the Russian forces in, uh, in the southern land, land uh, corridor, uh, threaten the Russian supply lines, and then position themselves to uh, capture Crimea. It was not about um, using Crimea, the possibility of attacking Crimea's leverage. It was about capturing Crimea. That was the plan. That was the hope. And it has crumbled in spectacular fashion. I mean, well, Ukraine is still stuck in this security zone, in this gray zone. And the only chance of making even a little bit of progress is in uh, Artyomos Bakhmut. And you've talked about why they're focusing on, uh, on Bakhmut. But um, you may want to expand on that. But I have another question for you as well to wrap up the video. Uh, it seems like the Russian military is targeting facilities with mercenaries, U.S. and U.K. mercenaries. And I know that Shoigu and the Russian Ministry of Defense about two, three weeks ago, they issued a warning specifically to the U.S. and the U.K. that when, they would, that when Ukraine would, would escalate towards Russian territory, they would hit decision-making centers specifically with U.S. and U.K. commanders. I imagine that... As UK mercenaries um, are, are targeted, the the citizens of the UK and the media is going to have to start to realize that they are, to a certain degree, involved in this conflict in Ukraine, and that's not going to play well either to to the domestic uh, audience, is it? I mean. This is no. going to start to build up, I imagine, and 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 people in the UK are going to start to say, you know. Uh, our, our, our boys are, are dying there. Why? No, it, Why is this happening? It, What's it, going it, on here? It's not going to play well at all. I mean, can I just say a lot of these people, these, these, these mercenaries, of course, are people who have been directed to this conflict by the British authorities. The same thing happened in Iraq, by the way. And you have all these special contractors and companies. And you see, what tends to happen is um, young men leave the military in Britain uh, especially the special forces, the SAS, the paratroopers, the marines, um, and they look for things to do with the skills that they have. And bear in mind that the British civilian economy today, which has basically put behind it its old manufacturing roots, is not really able to absorb these people in the way that it did. So quite a lot of them get attracted eventually to these sort of companies, um, of which there are lots in Britain, by the way, and they then get sent to places like Iraq and now Ukraine. Now, this is very devastating when they die because, of course, it affects military families. And military families are an important political and electoral constituency in Britain, as they are in the United States. They may not be huge in number, and they may be very disciplined people. But ultimately, if they start turning against the war, as they did in Iraq, over Iraq and Afghanistan, then that does have a big impact on politics. And of course, many of them come from electoral constituencies, political constituencies in Britain, which are important in elections. So, you know, they, they, they are not to be, dis they're not to be disregarded and they're not to be ignored. 
And of course, they're the kind of people who, if their stories start to spread through the media, that will that will start to be noticed by the wider British population. And that will also cause problems and concerns for the British government. Now, can I say something else? Because, of course, what the Russians are doing, they're obviously targeting these mercenaries who, as I said, are in a kind of way, they're like the... British and American equivalent of the Wagner organization. In other words, people that are sent into battle with some degree of plausible deniability, but they're being sent there with the green light from the British authorities. So they're targeting these people. They're also targeting officers, ex-NATO officers, as far as one can tell, in these command centers to some extent also. They're also going for the equipment that the West is providing. And there are rumours, now these are not coming from Britain, but they're coming from Ukraine, that the British have told the Ukrainians that under no circumstances do they want to see these Challenger 2 tanks that Britain supplied to Ukraine burning on the battlefields in the same way that the Leopard 2s were burning on the battlefields and that those tanks have now been pulled back, and that they were pulled back to Lviv, and that, in fact, the latest missile strike that the Russians have carried out on Lviv, to some extent, or Lvov, to some extent targeted these Challenger 2s. So, you know, there, there, there is that story. So you could see that there is sensitivity, because if the British public starts to see pictures of Challenger 2s burning on the battlefronts, that's also going to have a bad effect. It's going to undermine even further the mythology about the war that um, Ukraine is winning. But it's also going to be a major, major dent on the reputation within Britain of the British military and of their equipment. And in this society, which is in some ways still a very civilian civilian society, people in Britain have been told, rightly or wrongly, that the Challenger 2 is the best tank in the world. And even if we haven't got a big military, we've got this superb tank. And as I said, if pictures start to appear of it burning, then that will have a big effect, no doubt at all, on opinion here. Which is what will happen if those Challenger 2s get sent towards the front yes, line. There's yes, no doubt about it. Yes, yeah. yes. So it's, it's going to be bad for business and for support for the war, yeah. Absolutely. And bear in mind, we don't have that many of them anyway, <laughs> as I discussed at the start of the program. I mean, 150 or so altogether, but as I said, only 40 of them apparently in working order. It, it, it does seem a final question. It does seem that the Russians know exactly where all these positions are. So you, you have to assume and we've also talked about this in videos in the past, that there was a point in time in the beginning of the special military operation that there must have been some sort of deal made between Russia and the collective West. The collective West telling Russia, we won't uh, escalate the war specifically to target Russian territories or, or whatever. They, uh, they told the Russians in exchange, Russia, please don't uh, take out our decision-making centers or the centers where we have our uh, our challengers or our, I'm, I'm just saying whatever the situation was uh, but 
you know, the collective West continuously broke those those deals, and I think the Russians are now saying, yeah, well, we know where where you guys are, so we're just going to target these. That's exactly what's happened. That's exactly what happened. And of course, we had that disastrous article in the Washington Post, in which it was all about how uh, Biden, the Bi- Biden himself, was. Uh, uh, um, ignoring Russian red lines, and he was bragging about it. I mean, this is this is. I mean, it was an incredibly stupid and reckless thing to do. But you know, they, this is this is the problem also with this particular administration. When it does something like that, it can't keep it to itself. It has to go out of its way to you know crow and brag. And of course, what we see is the retaliation comes. Pretty devastating and effective. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no one talks much about the leopards anymore, do they? No. No. Well, they've disappeared. They've disappeared from sight. I mean, what leopards? But, uh, uh, they, they, that was clearly a huge embarrassment for the Germans and for Olaf Scholz and Heinmetall. And the other thing that's happened, and this is apparently, um, again, this is not rumor apparently is confirmed in tweets and things is that ukrainian troops are very very reluctant to go into battle in these western machines because they know that they are an immediate target for the russians that you know if you go uh, if you attack the russians in a old soviet era tank well that's not so newsworthy but if you go and attack the russians in a leopard 2 or a challenger 2 well the Russians have a particular incentive to blow you up because, of course, that way they can show it all on the in videos and video clips and it goes all around the world. So it seems that Ukrainians, some Ukrainians are now balking about going into battle in these things because they say it's a, it's a one-way mission. Uh, um, it, 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 it just, all it guarantees is that you get killed. Yeah, I think there was a monetary incentive, or maybe some, some Russian there oligarchs were, were giving there a monetary is. incentive yeah. to soldiers who were able to to destroy the leopards. Exactly. I think that's been confirmed as well. Absolutely, it has. It has. And of course, the Challenger 2s, you can, you can imagine that the, you know, the Russians will come for those with, um, uh, you know, with great energy. And of course, that's probably one reason why they've been pulled back, why we haven't seen them. So, so what... <laughs> What's the purpose of it then? I mean, you know, it's so dumb. You, you, yeah, well, you've given them the Challenger twos, and now yeah. you're like, look, uh, if you're the UK, you're like, look, just don't hear the Challenger twos, but don't, don't dare bring them to the front line. I mean, it, well, it's, why, why give them in the first place? Well, this is this this is exactly the point. And by the way, Zaluzny, who was talking about the Leopard twos, I mean, he, he made exactly that point. He said, look, you give us Leopard twos. What do you expect? Are, are these for parades? <laughs> are these just for you know, symbols? Or are we supposed to deploy them on the battlefield? At which point, of course, inevitably they become a target. But you're absolutely correct. I mean, that's, but that has been the problem with Western support for Ukraine right the way through. Um, this is such a narrative-driven intervention on the part of the West, that ultimately defending the narrative becomes more important than actually achieving results on the battlefield. So you give the challenge, give them the challenge twos, tell them this is the, you know the great weapon that's going to transform the the fate of the war, and then of course, when 
it looks like it might be otherwise. You've got to protect the narrative so you don't use them. Incredible stuff. All right. We'll end it there. The Durad.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and Rockfin. And go to the Durad shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.